0: Hi, I'm Marian Evans from Elevate BC, and welcome to the Exclusively Elevate Business podcast series. These episodes are our way of providing you with free insight and advice in your business journey. Throughout our second series, we'll be continuing on the journey of discussing a range of topics with successful business leaders and prolific media broadcasters. Welcome to series two, episode four. Last time, Stephen Davis, the CEO of Penderyn Distillery in Wales, joined me to discuss exporting, expanding and seizing opportunities. In this episode, I'll be talking about gender and whether it's still an issue. I'm excited to be joined by the inspiring Lucy Cohen, the co-founder of successful and disruptive accountancy sector firm Mazuma. Lucy will be helping me to do this topic justice. We hope you'll enjoy the podcast and please review us if you have time. This is something we kicked off at the beginning of lockdown to try and support some businesses and individuals during what has been quite a crazy, crazy time. So Elevate is a business that I started a few years ago. It's a business consultancy and we do lots of exec coaching, facilitation, leadership development and and kind of work with lots of companies across the, the UK. So over the last few months, we've had some really incredible guests to co-host some of these really juicy topics. And today is absolutely no exception. Really excited to have Lucy Cohen with me, uh, founder of Mazuma. So this is going to be probably one of my my favourites, I think. Uh, No pressure on you there, Lucy. Similar to, to myself, I guess, and I'll let Lucy do her own introduction I'm probably best described as an entrepreneur, so I'm very much about business, very much about starting new businesses and and seeing things grow and get a real buzz out of helping other people succeed in their sectors as well, and very used to being at the sharp end of business. So gender and gender bias is something that I guess I've encountered a lot being in male-dominated sectors, particularly from a pretty young age, really. So we're going to talk a little bit about that as we go on. Lucy, let me allow you to introduce yourself
1: I'm Lucy for those who don't know me I'm co-founder of an accounting company called Mizuma and um, we were first to market in the UK back in 2006 with subscription-based services for smaller micro businesses in a space where that didn't exist before it was pre-cloud software pre-internet doing anything other than being like a brochure for your website and yeah I, I work in and always have worked in very male-dominated spaces I think that the path that the company's taken, and the type of management we have, and the work structure that we have, are things that very much empower gender equality, and I hope they do. And uh, I will caveat. Everything I say today with I'm I always consider myself a work in progress. I'm always learning, I will get stuff wrong, and I will be happily learn from it and change my mind based on new evidence and facts, because that's all any of us can do. I'm caveating everything I say today with that because we're all works in progress, right?
0: Yeah, completely agree with that. Completely agree with that. So, Lucy, I guess the best place for us to for us to start is our own experience of that gender bias, of, of, of being made aware, I guess, that we we are different to men and different to the norm, I guess, in, in business.
1: This is a really interesting one for me because I come from a Jewish family which has a lot of very strong women in it. So there's quite a matriarchal presence in what we do. And I was always raised being told that I could do or be anything I wanted to be. And then I went to an all-girls school. And it didn't really actually occur to me that I was a woman until I started a business, and I realised there weren't that many other people around who looked like me, specifically in that kind of financial accountancy space, and it hadn't really twigged that it was even a thing, like it was even something I had to think about. Until I was starting to take meetings or attend networking events. And granted, I was also very young. I was twenty-three when I started my business, so the kind of credibility factor and all that kind of stuff. I've always had a, an old head on young, old head on young shoulders, but. I was definitely looking younger then. People have stopped being um, surprised. I knew I was getting older when people were not surprised that I started my own business anymore. So like when you're 23 yeah. and everyone's like, what do you ask? I start a business? Oh my goodness, that's amazing. And now I'm like nearly 38 and they're like, oh, you started a business. What do you ask? I run a business? Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I know that's that's how I know I've aged. <laughs> uh, it's, not, it's not surprising or delighting anymore. Yeah, I didn't really realize it was a thing until... You know, somebody asked me, well, in fact, it happened more than once, asked me at a networking event whether I was working for my dad's business, and I was just like, what and I, I did and I did that very female trait of laughing it off and not kicking up a fuss and just making a joke about it. And then yeah. I went home and like I was twenty three and I was seething. I was yeah. really cross about it because I was first of all like how dare you assume that it isn't my business? And first of all, why did you pick dad? Why not mum? So yeah, I think that was my first experience of it kind of being so so obvious and so in my face and said in such a way that it obviously wasn't even a big deal that this guy was asking me this. Like, he mm. was just, he was like, oh yeah, no, you probably wouldn't dad's business. It, it hadn't even crossed his mind there could be any other alternative. Mm. And yeah. that's, I think, probably what started me most on my kind of feminist journey yeah. if you want to call it anything that was the moment
0: I think my feelings when I when I used to feel it were were very strong I felt I, I used to I used to feel quite angry about it really I, I can remember in the early days in, in a corporate environment I'd be the only woman in most of the meetings and lots of the individuals that I managed were older than me and male and, and it used to be a bit of a joke, really, to individuals that I was the kind of, you know, um, obviously different. And I can remember, I can remember trying to to fit in, trying to be more like mm-hmm. men, mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. because that was the way to get ahead. And I can remember being told to, um, or encouraged to read Nice Girls Don't Get the Corner Office. I'm not sure if you've ever read that, but really it's about the typical female traits the the things that we do apologize for things when we shouldn't be apologizing and just think things like that and I can remember after I read that and I had a really good exchange with the the author actually she she became a bit of a friend was it's an American thing but but it really does ring true some of the traps that we kind of fall into and and rightly or wrongly and probably because I was less confident then than I am now I just wanted to fit in yeah me like like the rest I didn't want to stand out because like you say I was young and I was yeah. a woman. I just wanted to be uh because I was really really good at my at my job as I climbed the ranks I I felt more and more passionate We're going to come on later on to how how we can kind of tackle this as a society and as individuals Became more passionate about trying to help more women come up through the ranks yeah. um, because I found it quite tough to do to do that and to be questioned about that all the time my next question to you, and and, and I, and I, I fully know where I feel on this, but is it still an issue? Do you think it's still an issue? I mean, obviously, we're kind of looking back at the last 10, 15 years of, of our careers in, in financial mm. services. Is it still a thing, Lucy, do you think?
1: Yeah, it's massively still a thing. I mean, you go through peaks and troughs and things being fashionable or not. I think where you've got very conservative right wing leaders across the world who are very vocal in certain ways, I'm not mentioning any names, we all know who I'm talking about. I think it sets a tone for people to be emboldened in certain views. So I see a lot of it about it's never as obvious or or even as like, you know, it's not a joke, but it's jokey. Oh, women's place in the kitchen or something like that. It's, it's not all that, but there are a myriad of subtle ways that i'm reminded every day in what i do that i am a woman even down to i was in a meeting pre-covid so in a world where we still went into meeting rooms with other people in fact i wrote an article about this on accounting web which is you can go into a meeting and everyone get a handshake but if you're a woman they want to come in for a kiss well there we are straight away you've treated me differently because of my perceived gender Or I've been in meetings where somebody's, I won't swear, but somebody's sworn and they've gone, oh, sorry, I shouldn't swear. There's ladies presence. I'm like, dude, I'm a CEO of a company. Do you think I don't say that? Those are quite mild examples, but there are definitely other ways that I'm reminded on a consistent basis. I've got some some great allies out there in terms of business. I was invited to a charity event uh, probably around a year ago now, actually. Two years ago, in fact, two years ago, ages ago. This year's disappeared. And so somebody, as I walked in, uh, the guy who was on the, who's on the table, he's like, it seems like everybody else here has forgotten to invite women. And I looked around the room and there, I, there was about five women at this entire charity event. And then I was at the Accounting Excellence Awards last year and Catherine Ryan was the host. And she actually made a joke on stage and said, "And then there are women that work in finance anymore because the room was just a sea of penguin suits. Uh, and again, we can talk about the, the reasons uh, for why people attend events and, and the accessibility events for all genders. But yeah, I'm reminded constantly that I'm still uh, at management level, at C-suite level, a bit of an anomaly in the industry.
0: Yeah, very much so. You were saying about that sea of, of men. I, I went to the Women in Financial Advice Awards, probably not far off the same sort of a time ago, two years ago. And it was nearly all women, which is the first time I'd ever been in anything that had so many women in a black tie event in the financial services sector. And there was there was a few men, which was quite a bizarre experience. But the main speaker was a man. And he was saying how nice it is that there was so many women that had it was something really awfully judged by him, like being able to get away from the children or, or something, and they oh, no. just erupted. Oh no! Left the stage, and I just thought that was that was just a, to me quite an iconic moment of a yeah. poorly judged, you know, throwaway yeah. quip that you know was just lost on on us as an audience because how many of us have probably worked really hard to get to to that to that point? So yeah, yeah. yeah. It's shocking. It is still shocking. I I completely agree. It's still very much a a thing. I I mentioned to you about doing a talk in a primary school before COVID and asking the children what they wanted to be when they grew up and being kind of shocked, really, with the amount of uh, the children that said celebrities and seeing that as something to aspire to. um, That worries me. That really, really worries me that we've still got, we're in a society where, where that's what we hold as important.
1: And it's a really good example of why representation is so important. If you can see it, you can be it. And if we haven't got women in positions of power, of influence, of scientific excellence, that our children and the next generation are not going to see that that is possible. And it's hard to not have anybody ahead of you. Again, I said, I'm, I'm really lucky that I've come from a a very strong female family. My first two bosses in finance were two absolutely kick ass women who didn't take any crap from anybody. And I kind of learned the ropes when I was 19 there. So I'm so thankful that I got that experience because it could have been very different. I had a job, I won't name where it was, in finance still. And I was the same grade as all the other, um, we were um, we were testing new software. I was the same grade as all the other testers on there. I was um, one of only two women on the team and I was the youngest. And the boss, male, pulled me aside one day for a, can we have a quick chat, please? And I was like, oh no, like thinking I put some code in wrong or I, and my testing wasn't done properly or there's been, like, something's gone into, in out of beta and it shouldn't have. He was like, it's been noticed that, you know, you don't really go in on the tea rounds. Like you don't make tea for people. And I was like, are you asking Julian that? Have you asked him that question or is it just me you've asked this to? Because... I, I don't know if you've noticed, but you're paying me the same as everyone else. I'm pretty certain I'm better placed not making tea, but
0: yeah. So, oh, isn't that the way? And I, do you know what? When you said that, what came to my mind was the amount of times in uh, in meetings, because and and even at board, you know, and and you know, various committee meetings and things. If um if there isn't someone there to take the minutes, that it is an assumption that the woman in the room will take the minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's quite as bad now, but it certainly was in those in those early days when I was in, in meetings that you take notes.
1: Yeah, I categorically refuse to make beverages or take notes and meetings to the point where sometimes I'm like I haven't even got my laptop with me someone's gonna to have to send me this later just to make the point that it's not my job to do it you know it's a bit of a running joke also my handwriting's so terrible no one wants to see
0: what I'm in but it's a bit of a running joke but Lucy Lucy doesn't take notes but it's funny isn't it how we kind of learn to adapt we learn from those things then we think okay yeah. well, going to, we're not gonna, and we subtly do do those changes I can remember going to landing one of my first quite large deals my gosh I was probably about 25 26 and I went to see this um guy who was in charge of a very large estate he was probably the same age as my dad and I can remember him saying well this is quite a novelty I don't think I've ever had a woman come to do business with me before <laughs> I just thought wow. and actually he we he did do he could see that I was a bit more than than just a woman that there was uh, you know quite a lot a uh, lot about my my ability and we did end up doing doing Business and he became a really, really good client and, and confidant.
1: It's um, it's fascinating. A friend of mine is a geologist and she works for one of the big quarry firms. But she's one of the few women in in role in that position in the company. And she goes to sites and um, there's no uh, simple things like they they've got loo's with no sanitary bins or facilities like that in it because they are just there's the assumption that male is the default and there's no um, provision for women to, ev- to be on there. In fact, my husband's aunt was the first female gas engineer in Wales, I think, and they had, to make her, they had to make her a special changing room when she qualified because everyone else was a man. So she had to have her own changing room to put her like her suits on and stuff. And it's it, so okay, yeah, obviously, obviously I'm married to a feminist, um, lots of very strong women around me, so I count myself as very as very lucky in that regard. It's it, it's
0: good, but it should be the norm,
1: shouldn't it? It, shouldn't it should. Be it should. Yeah, this is it. It shouldn't be. We should. What was it? Emma Watson said. She said, "Let's stop. Let's stop calling people people and feminists. Let's just call people people and sexists And then yeah. let's just flip that around a bit.
0: Yeah, yeah. And 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 you know, let's like get, even get started on on BAME and putting all all the different elements of bias.
1: Oh, add that on top of everything else. If you're a member of the BAME community, or you think um, you know, about intersectionality, you've got a physical disability, or a mental disability, or a chronic illness, and then you add on top being a non-male gender, yeah, or even non-cisgendered, you've got real challenges. Real yeah. challenges.
0: How relevant is a more typical female leadership style, compassion, and, and and so forth, and collaboration in navigating during this pandemic? Do we think that that's a strength, perhaps?
1: I think that my first comment on that is I hope eventually we get to a point in leadership where we don't gender certain styles. We don't say that's a male style, that's a female style. I hope that they're just styles of leadership. But in terms of having a style of leadership that is compassionate, empathetic, adaptable all that all that kind of stuff, it is so important now. We've had record amounts in our company, record amounts of mental health leave this year because people are, you know, we're trigger stacking and we're stress stacking. We've got all the normal stresses and strains of work combined with working in an environment you're not normally working, working in isolation we're not used to. And then you're constantly, you've got this constant mental load of bandwidth of seeing all your stuff in your house where like two worlds collide in like the most inconvenient way. I didn't realise how much that sort of thing affected me. My husband, when we both first started working from home, had his many, many screens set up on our dining room table. And I was kind of all right with it. It It's fine. You you have dinner, it's there. You just kind of don't look at it. And then we got him a desk um, in another room and it moved and that space came back to normal. And I I hadn't appreciated how much that affected my mental health. So when I think about that and I think about what other people, and I'm very lucky and very privileged. um, We've got a house that has extra rooms in it. I think having the empathy to know that not everyone is living your experience and people will have be sharing a dining table to work off with their partner or housemates or other things. I think putting yourself that ability to have the empathy and put yourself in someone else's position is crucial right now. You can't lead people unless you can at least try and walk half a mile in their shoes because yeah. Yeah, and again, if you're at the top of a company, you're probably, you know, I'm making assumptions here, but you might be in a more comfortable living situation than a lot of people who work for with you. You don't know what kind of domestic situation people have and what people have to deal with. If someone's saying, I haven't got that done today, you can't just yell at them and go, well, it has to be done that day. You need to ask why and encourage an environment where people are comfortable coming forward to, to be able to say why. And those leadership styles, they're the future you know, it's just Cinderella, isn't it? You know, they're the future of how we lead countries and organisations. agree. We're going to start doing this like next week. Like, just give me a country to lead. Yes. <laughs> yeah, i <feel laughs> so just, I'll just on the list. <laughs> yeah, just leave it with me. Be it on it. My list. I'll get, I'll
0: get to it later this week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: pop, pop it on my Trello board.
0: It's the authenticity and empathy. And and actually, I did a session with women in um, PR country last week, and I was asked to focus on confidence and executive presence you know what it takes to come up through the ranks and sit on boards and what have you and it's really in, in my mind it is about being authentic confidence is about being authentic being okay with who who you yeah. are being prepared to share a of that vulnerability we feel that we've got to be really tough to get ahead in business and actually yeah. I think the greatest leaders that I that certainly the people that I admire are the ones that are prepared to be open about what they're great at and what they're not so great mm-hmm. at, and then they build yeah. a team around it. So it's it's a bit more of that acceptance, I think. Really, yeah, yeah,
1: absolutely. Like I was just I was chatting to you about I'm a I'm an anxiety sufferer, and I was telling you some <laughs> stories of the ridiculous things that go on my brain. But I'm really open about that publicly and with uh, members of my team because I could be having a really bad day and I could be a bit snappy or short with people and not really be in a in a space where I'm self-aware enough in that moment to realize it. But if they know that about me and I can say, I've had a really sleep nice night, my anxiety was terrible, I've not slept, yeah. so like, give me yeah. some slack. At least they can go, oh, okay, she gets it, that's really nice. Yeah. Uh, you're not kidding anybody. You look at those kind of like, Sopranos, I'm going for TV shows here, but you look at the Sopranos and Mad Men and all those kind of tropes about strong men and all the rest of it, yeah. and they're all self-medicating with drink yeah. and drugs and stress. <laughs> all that stuff and that absolutely happens you're not kidding anybody by pretending you're bulletproof because you're not no no
0: I no, completely agree and it doesn't matter what level and that's yeah. that's certainly something I see with the exec coaching we coach some some really senior high profile individuals and you know from the outside you, you would never believe but actually I would say that um it's just not talked about professional sports people have all got a coach and actually yeah. High flyers in business have nearly all got an exec coach yeah. because we all kind of need somebody that's that sounding board and somebody who understands those vulnerabilities. and yeah. like,
1: everybody needs the contrary to their little inner Iago that tells them they can't. Everyone's got to have somebody.
0: Yeah, yeah. The zappers and the sappers. How do you go about recruiting fairly to show that equality and gender is a proper and important issue at Mizuma?
1: This is something and it's a conversation I keep having with myself about this because we have a very female led team and I have to be very conscious that I'm not falling foul of a patriarchal system whereby I just hire people that look like me or remind me of me in some way. I don't actually hire me. I'm a nightmare. Like, don't (laughs) hire me. But I I don't want to I don't want to be subconsciously just hiring people that remind me of myself. And it's something we've really looked at this year because we do have female management. Now the contra to that, or the, uh, the opposing argument to that if you like, is that because we wanted to create an equal opportunities organization, we created a work environment and a structure that meant that talent that was typically excluded from that standard nine to five culture Mm. would, it would be able to thrive in our environment. And that is people who tend to be primary caregivers and statistically they tend to be women there's that as well in the, in doing that if I've either proved one or proved the other if you know what I mean I'm not sure which one I'd prove but whatever it is we've got female managers and yeah. um, not just female managers but we do have um, we do have male management as well but I'm really proud actually of the female managers we have of all the managers we have but of the, of the women who've come up through the ranks with us and, and and taken the opportunities and made it work around other responsibilities in their life. because I think that's That's something I was very keen to kind of bake into what we do, because it's an opportunity that, especially in finance, isn't often kind of awarded to people. If you look at the culture in big fours, that kind of presenteeism, that late-night burnout culture, if you um, want to have any sort of life, a family, male or female, it tends to be the women who sacrifice that for a myriad of reasons that we haven't got enough time to go into. But I actually think that that the pandemic, has really assisted us in putting a plan together with this, Because we're able to be completely diverse because it doesn't matter where somebody lives. So you're not, you haven't got the fallback of geography. There are certain areas that are more diverse than others geographically. If you're expecting people to go to a workplace, they tend to live within a 40 minute commute of that workplace. Therefore your demographic won't necessarily be as diverse as maybe you'd like in your plan because of geography. We're not limited by that anymore because we can do this. This is all done, you know, remotely. We've hired seven people during the pandemic, all remotely. I haven't met a single one of them. And they're all working from home. We just set up their hardware and ship it off to them. And it's working really well. And what that means is that we're able to be much more inclusive in terms of gender, race and physical ability. Um, Because we're not requiring somebody who maybe is a wheelchair user to have to come to an office, which is inconvenient. They can work from home. Or somebody who's got a chronic illness, um, who has good days and bad days, they can work their bad days or their less active or less able days. They can work those around their their work-life balance. So hoping that actually I'm taking this opportunity to kind of, to keep this kind of momentum going in terms of the organisation, because I think, you know, we can now employ anybody from, any background anywhere in the uk all they need to do is have an internet connection and you know what if they don't have an internet connection we can get them a dongle and give them one so we can even yeah. solve that problem as well so we're not solving the barriers to entry of not having enough money just to get to the job in the first place so we're kind of solving yeah. that problem so yeah um i hope that that's what we're doing but it is something i'm hyper conscious of because again because i've got a few on my team i do quite often get accused uh, get accused and it is accusatory of only hiring women it's not true. It's just that our management are very
0: visible and they're very visibly female. I think you're right. I think the tragedy will be if we haven't really used what we've learned over the pandemic yeah. in terms of recruitment and the yeah. ability to break down loads of barriers that, that yeah. we've been given and keep that going. I really would, I think it would be awful if we go back. Although it feels that the tide is, is changing, it's not changing as quick as it should. Yeah. Do we think there should be quotas for women on boards? And I, I feel quite passionate about this. I, I think it should be the best person for the job. I don't think it should be necessarily a woman, gender, or however you identify. It should be the best person for the job. But if we were always looking for the best person in the job, statistically, half of the people on boards would be women. Companies are far more effective when they have a mix, a diverse board. There's lots of evidence about that. But I was asked this at a Women on Boards meeting a few weeks ago. I'm an ambassador for Women on Boards in, in Wales. And I emphasise the fact that the biggest issue that we've got is not necessarily the board level. It's just that that's become more visible. It's that the women aren't being encouraged up through the ranks. Far too many high calibre, capable women in their 30s, really, before they get to that executive or senior or start their own business, giving them the confidence to do that or blazing trail. So... I am passionately pro quota, and I will
1: tell you why. The reason is is because we need them. We need them. Without them, what happens is we end up with ten white men on a board every Mm -hmm. time. Because previously, that's what's happened for the last however many hundred years in business in in the in the business community. So you cannot tell me that in that those previous centuries there were not capable women or people of color that could have been on those boards. But what's happened is the What we can all fall into, and this falls into the kind of category of subconscious bias, is we tend to hang out with people who are like us, who look like us, who sound like us, who have the same hobbies as us. We tend to live in an echo chamber. And when someone's considered for a board, they tend to go, oh, Steve, you know, Steve, you want to join me and Steve on the board, Steve? And they go, Steve, great, brilliant, come on board. <laughs> and that's what's happened. When we say best person yeah. for the job, that is a sweeping assumption
0: yeah. that yeah. all
1: boards currently have all the best people for the job on them. They don't.
0: Yeah. No, they don't.
1: They absolutely don't. So don't. until we know that we always have the best person for the job on all the boards and there's some bizarre, weird anomaly out there, I think we have to go, do you what, Let's stick a quote because what it does is it forces companies recruiters hires it forces them to go out and look further than their own echo chamber and that is where you breathe brilliant diversity and you bring brilliant talent in and that's when companies become game changers when they, they they go and actively seek that talent out rather than just sitting there and waiting for the talent to walk into the golf club
0: and also hopefully once they're on the board once the boards are more diverse the results will speak for themselves, the yeah. dynamics are bored when there's, when there's a real good mix yeah. of age, gender, um, colour, everything, you know, yeah. the more diverse the, the better, then we see, yeah. we see some really great kind of results coming out. Following on from that then, and I'm, I'm conscious of time, and I, know, I knew that you and I could like, talk for days on this, how does the gender issue affect education and is going to affect the future generations? We've touched on a few of the things, and, I, and I've noticed that Juara had put their, their kind of manifesto out. Do you know what? It's quite interesting. Quite a few of the bits and pieces that you've shared with us just now about the kind of recruitment, about flexible working, about safety and care. And, and one of the things that Sophie Howe actually mentioned when we had a session recently was transport safety and how we, in education, how, I can remember when I was in university... And I'd get the the train or the bus, and I used to in Bristol, and Bristol was, you know, it's it a pretty pretty safe places anywhere. Being quite nervous about that first time away from home, and feeling that was quite an unsafe environment at, at times. First of all, where we do have talent that exists now,
1: sometimes uh, it's absolutely exhausting being a figurehead and a role model. But you yeah. do it because you think if I don't do this, somebody behind me isn't going to know it's possible so i'm going to put myself out there and i'm going to do it because it isn't for me it is for whoever's coming up next and they need to see that this can be done so that's why i do so much role model work that's why i do stuff like this that's why i, I quite publicly put myself out there as a feminist and a, an advocate for, and for mental health as well because i want to normalize the hell out of this and just and just so that for the next two generations down it's just not a big deal and uh, so there's that is encouraging and um offering the support to people who are able to come forward to do it secondly it's education and it's also environment so i have a massive issue with and it's and it's i blame the advertising industry if you're in it it's your fault because we (laughs) like to pigeonhole people to sell them stuff i said we the industry likes to pick and we do it we have the demographic of a customer you have your perfect fit client and you pick those people well, in doing that, you're narrowing those parameters down so heavily. What we've come to is holidays in the UK like Mother's Day and Father's Day, where Mother's Day has pink cards full of flowers and thank you for doing the laundry, and Father's Day has golf clubs and tool sheds, and blue and pink. We have gender reveals, blue and pink. Before something is even born, someone's first of all decided what gender it is, which you know, that's a question for another, another topic, but someone's you know, pre-birth decided what that child's gender is. And secondly, they've assigned it a colour. So they've assigned it a tag and a colour and that colour will follow it through its life. And it sends a message right from... You know, princess parties versus dinosaur parties and all that rubbish. Mm. could just have a party. It's, and I think that that hyper-genderization of children, it then feeds through into schooling. And I know I went to, I was in primary school in the 80s, but I was in a, uh, a mixed primary school. And you know, boys play football and girls played netball. And I kicked up such a stink because I was like, I want to play football. I kicked up such a stink. That I I didn't know how to play football. I was making a point. I was I was useless, but I wanted to be on the team, so I went to go and play football. And it happens all it happens all the way through. And we have to just stop it. When we see it, call it out. Make big brands feel ashamed of doing it because they're the biggest thing they want to do is to sell something if we stop buying into all that rubbish they could they have to stop selling it and they have to sell things that are way more appropriate for the future we want to build and yeah. it was right back to the beginning so yeah. okay. we've got probably you know we've got a good 20 years to get this right from now if we start now 20 years time hopefully we'll have got somewhere but you know we're fighting that and then we're also fighting systems like you know wanting to tax people who work from home or not having transport structures set up with enough street lighting so that women feel safe going to them you know I don't know a single woman who at some point in their life hasn't walked with their car keys between their hands when they go back to their car because they're worried about being attacked and again this is where the representation comes in because it's really funny I was a you know when my husband and I were courting our gym's quite local and he, he um it was dark and I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm going to gym gym my way home from work. He's like, well, you should just drop your car at home and walk there because you've got to pay for parking there. And I was like, I'm not walking through the park in the dark, there's no lighting. And he was like, why? I was like, I'm a woman. And he was like, oh yeah. And it just hadn't, he'd feel quite comfortable walking through a park in the dark yeah. in winter on his own with his headphones on. But obviously, and most women don't. Um, and then he asked me a really sweet question, which was, If I'm walking behind a woman on her own, I don't want her to think I'm going to attack her. What do I do? I was like, stay the hell away from her. Cross the road, (laughs) do something else. Don't try and overtake her. She'll be terrified. It's in everything. It's in town planning. It's in transport structure. It's in education. It's in sports choices. It's in role models. It's complete overhaul. And we are really, really slowly getting there. But we need to be braver and more vocal about when people get it wrong. And that's something that, i am learning i'm not perfect at it and um, sometimes i am nervous about calling stuff out because i'm like oh what if it affects me my professionally maybe i won't just make a noise um, mm. and now i look at what you know, trump tweets and i'm like well hang on a second maybe you can go off and do that and still end up being president of the states i'm pretty certain i can call that a brand for some misogyny
0: yeah i i agree with you we've got to, we have got to be more vocal and we've got to be mm. you really hit the nail on the head for me there with that role plays and, and role modeling and, and just Trying to do that blazing trail, I, I I don't know. I feel a bit duty duty bound. I don't know whether it's a nurturing thing or, or, or what, but to try and make it easier for yeah. the next generation. And, and as it happens, I've got two daughters, and one until about the age of five or six, completely obsessed with Fireman Sam, and, and went everywhere in a Fireman Sam's um, uh, <laughs> helmet and, and full gear, when all the others were in princess dresses at, at parties and things, and being questioned. I remember a couple of of other parents questioning that. And that that does make me quite angry. I, I think I think there's a bit of a confidence thing as well. Yeah. Though I think there is about if we make it okay and, and others feel that it's okay to to speak out and to be authentic and be themselves. Mm-hmm. I think that that helps. Like you, I joined a football team because girls <laughs> were not meant to. In secondary school, we had a really awful uniform. We remember like Hessian sacks, pink and black Hessian sacks. And I can remember being the first girl to come to school in trousers, you know, and everybody's just oh, being aghast. But I just thought, I just felt so strongly that it, why did we yeah. have to wear these, these things, really? So it's being braver. It is talking out. It's calling it when when it happens. And, yeah. and also, I think I think sometimes the men who are more empathetic or sympathetic to the cause, I'm not sure that what's the right, quite the right terminology, Find sometimes that they're scared. Mm. They're not too sure what they can and can't say and can and can't do. So I am always quite conscious of that as well. I don't. I I want that that they they feel confident enough to have a conversation, really.
1: To become an ally, because that's what we need. We need allies. We need people. If you if I'm the only woman in a board meeting and there are six guys there and they're all talking over me, no matter how loudly I shout, balance of power doesn't necessarily my favour. I need one of those guys to go. Hang on a second, guys. She's talking. And actually, I think men feel very nervous for doing it because they also, there's a stigma attached to um, being a male feminist. There's a stigma attached to looking for gender equality as a a man. And I think actually helping that cause helps themselves as well, because then we we move into a whole new category of male caregiving, not being a stigma. The outcomes for society as a whole, where men are allies and able to speak up, is huge as well. All of it requires bravery. I sit on a board for a sports organisation and we were bringing up some issues with uh, equality in this and myself and my friend sit on this board and we were described by one old guy to another old guy which was overheard by a good ally as being those two difficult moaning women from Wales and all we were trying to do was get equality in certain sectors just it's schoolyard stuff and we need to be better than that
0: yeah i agree i agree it is a bit about that, about that confidence isn't it and and the ability to have an equal say, but but also we've got to jump at the opportunity as well when it's there. I think it's a really important point about the male allies, because I think there are some, and I can think of colleagues and people I've worked with in the past who who really champion equality and diversity and are great advocates of it. And actually, I, I hate to say it, but I've seen some women who actually don't do us any favours. Oh yeah, yeah. In some respects, they climb, they climb the ranks, and and instead of helping other women up yeah. there, it's it's almost like this is my this is my kind of empire now. This is my well that
1: that falls back into the narrative that we're we're quite often taught. It, you kind of come into our teenage years, so yeah. quite often taught that women are naturally in competition with each other in order to attract the attention of one male, and that then falls into the workplace it falls into you can only have one alpha female but obviously no one's gone but there's loads of alpha males here why can we only mm. have one strong woman no one's apparently no one's ever thought of that but one queen bee that's it and the rest are all worker bees there are certain women or generations of women who um through no fault of their own have been taught that and then have been taught that behavior by their peers which are predominantly male whereas mm. in fact what i'm all about and i think what we should all be about is it's not competition it's cooperation and you're not pulling the ladder up after you you're reaching your hand back to help the next person along Mm. and you know people have done that with me and i've had great role models and that's probably why i'm as shouty as i am now and i want to do the same i want to i want to bring people along with me because Mm. it's lonely at the top who wants to be up here on their own no one it's much more nice much nicer to have your friends
0: here yeah completely agree absolutely can men do more to help address gender challenges and I think we've probably said yes they can and, and it's calling that out
1: there's actually a key sentence in there which I think is really important is is what I try and what I try and use is when we've written a policy or we've come up with an idea or whatever we've done we go with a but what about the and then insert whatever in there. what about the yeah. and that should lead you down the route of going actually we haven't considered that
0: and I'll hold my hands up we don't always get it right Again, it's, this is going back to our unconscious bias as well as conscious bias. If you can't get that voice in the room, then how are you going to get it represented? Looking at statistics, are you going out to the community? Are you doing polls? Are you, you know, so it's, it's making sure that voice is heard in some yeah. way. It's not somebody within your within your team. There was uh, there's just one one final one I think that it's worth touching on. Do you have a strategy or a tip for dealing with male intimidation?
1: As in, like men. Uh, I'm intimidated by men, or men who are intimidated by me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that says it all. I've mean, got advice for both, but <laughs> so really, basically, what you're trying to do here is is um, first of all think about the reason you're intimidated. So, what specifically is intimidating you? Is it their um, position, power, presence, um, the actual words they're using, parlance? I'm making up peas here. What, you know, <laughs> what is what is it? what is it that they're. Um, Someone write that down. I don't take notes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, so what, what is it that's intimidating you? And then you figure out, it's that a you problem or a them problem? Because we don't, you know, you can't choose how someone reacts to you, but you do get to choose how you react to another person. So that's something to kind of take a So is that a you problem? Is that something you need to work on? Is that your imposter syndrome talking? Is that a lack of confidence? Could you do some work with a coach on that maybe? Or if it's a them problem and they're, and they're just being a bit of a bit of a shoe, then mm. you can diffuse that I, I find questions a really good way of diffusing situations so to give a funny example if someone's told a, a sexist joke I just stand there and go I don't get it and, and then i they're like, oh, can you because you know, I know about I don't can you explain it to me and then you're forcing them to have to explain the horrible sexist thing they said. It's not funny anymore. They'll stop doing it. And it's that sort of strategy. It's disarming yeah. a situation. I always find questions are a really good way of doing it. So if someone's yelling at you or shouting at you, you go look, I can, I, can, I, I can see that you're really upset about this, but I don't really understand. Why could you explain it to me, please? Yeah. And quite often that's enough to pull somebody back from that moment. And you yeah. know yeah, what? If they're still a like that and they haven't changed it and they go storming off or they behave like a child or whatever it is that's on them that's their problem you don't you don't have to be affected by it you can make the choice not to be affected by it yeah. as an anxiety sufferer that is often easier said than done but it is that is a skill you can learn you can learn to not let things bother you and to walk away from it yeah
0: that's great advice, advice. and that's that's about the emotional intelligence, isn't it? You know, yeah. IQ, you can't really change your IQ. That's quite static through life. But the EQ, that emotional intelligence, how we choose to respond to things, that's absolutely in our, in our control. And it is about tempering that response, you know, between stimulus and response. We, we've got that yeah. time to choose, haven't we? How, how we respond to it. Uh, I heard the statistic. I'm not a big fan of statistics. I'm not, I'm not sure how reliable some of them are, but... That life is 10% of what happens to us and 90% how we respond. Yeah. And I do believe that. You know, you can have the same information land with two people and they can respond in a completely different, yeah. different way. I suppose, yeah, I, I guess I'd, I'd echo what you're saying there. Probably an opportunity to press pause and just think, hmm, how, how do I want to respond to this? Yeah. And-
1: yeah. And, and that, like you said, that, that is a skill you can definitely learn. Um, you know, I, I didn't start off being good at it. Again, unsurprisingly, I used to snap back. But actually now I've got the, the age and wisdom to go, right, whose problem is this? And is it worth my energy caring about it? Do I need to care about this or can I just forget it and carry on with my life? Will I remember this moment in five years and will it be a game changer? And if not, I'm not that interested.
0: I love that. Massive. Thank you, Lucy. So much fun. I could do this all day. As always, really, really love having people's feedback suggestions on any other kind of topics that you want us to cover in this series. Thanks so much, Lucy. Thank you.
1: Brilliant. No, you're so welcome. Um, yeah. Keep in touch, obviously. And we'll, uh, you mm. can see my latest rant on Twitter. Yeah, I'm going to have a look now. <laughs> Take care. I'll speak to you soon, Marianne. Ta-ra. Thanks, David.
0: Okay. Bye. Thank you for listening to episode four in our second series. On the next episode, I will be talking to Rachel Flanagan, founder of Mrs. Bouquet, or Bucket, if you will, the multi-million pound cleaning business. Rachel and I will be discussing branding and confidence. We really hope you've enjoyed listening to the podcast today and if you do have time, we'd love you to leave a podcast review. Thanks so much. If you'd like to get in touch, please visit our website, elevatebc.co.uk.